0: Hi, welcome to the Stanford GSB podcast. My name is Lily Clausen, and I'll be talking to faculty about their research and the stories behind their research. Mihail Kosinski is an assistant professor of organizational behavior here at Stanford. He researches digital footprints and what they leave behind in social media and how computers can be a better judge of our personality than a friend or even a spouse. But today, I talked with him about something a little different, the end of privacy. Mihal has a lot of optimism about how a world with less privacy could actually lead to more tolerance. Here's our conversation. Tell me about how your research in big data has led to an interest in privacy.
1: As a psychologist, my main motivation in my research is to try to understand humans better. But one of the things that my research has shown is that computers are actually very good at understanding humans. And obviously we can you know, uh, disagree about what understanding humans really mean, but what I mean by that is that computers are really good at predicting future behavior, discovering patterns in behavior, and also revealing our intimate traits based on digital footprints. Uh, and this is really useful for a psychologist because it helps us to understand humans better, but it's also pretty consequential in terms of privacy, right? Because if computers can now take digital footprints that we are leaving behind, and we are leaving an increasing amount of digital footprints behind as we go about our business in the digital environment, and turn those digital footprints into very accurate predictions of our future behavior and our intimate traits that perhaps we wouldn't like to share otherwise, basically this becomes... uh, a real concern from the privacy point of view.
0: What's the concern exactly?
1: The concern is that as we are leaving increasing amount of digital footprints, right, like we are migrating to the digital environments and an increasing fraction of our behaviors, communication, thoughts, uh, even purchasing or information seeking behaviors are now being mediated or accommodated by digital products and services, we're leaving increasing amount of digital footprints on one hand. On the other hand, computers are becoming better at turning those digital footprints into accurate predictions of our intimate traits. So basically going forward, there's going to be no privacy. Now, some people say, of course, but we can uh, create this amazing new technology and, or those amazing new policies that will give people control over the data. Now, I think this is totally impossible simply because data is really hard to regulate. It doesn't know borders. It can be very easily encrypted or transformed in such a way as to prevent people from uh, being able to recognize it as their own data. It can be stolen. And then even if you catch someone stealing your data, how do you make sure that they do not only give it back, but then also delete the copy uh, that they surely made for themselves. Basically, going forward, we will have less and less control over our data. But now, even if we had control over, over our data, it still does not protect us from digital exposure because much of our digital footprints, we actually want to be public. Like, I want my blog to be public. I want my Facebook profile or parts of it to be public. I want my tweets to be public. I want the sound of my voice or, you know, this interview to be public. And now what computers can do, computer algorithms, they can take those pieces of data that we actually willingly publish out there and still turn it into very accurate predictions of our intimate traits.
0: Right. And what do we gain when there's no digital privacy? And what do we give up?
1: Well, so I also want to make clear that I'm not really happy about the privacy going to end. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the end of privacy, but I'm just trying to um, make sure that we focus on the right part of this debate. Because most of the debate at the moment is focused on how to maintain privacy, how to develop new technologies or maybe better our policies, so we can retain privacy. And now this is a distraction because whatever we do going forward, there's going to be no privacy. And I'd like to compare it with a tornado, right? I hate tornadoes. I think that tornadoes should be illegal and everyone should have a choice to opt out from being hit by a tornado. But those actions will not stop tornadoes from coming. So the sooner we stop talking about delegalization of tornadoes and start talking about how to make sure that the society is ready for the tornado of the end of privacy, the better, safer, and more pleasant our future will be.
0: If you had to guess, what would personal privacy look like in, say, 20 years? Uh, What would that look like? Can you paint a picture for me?
1: Well, I don't think it will be 20 years. It will be months or years from now. It's increasingly a case now that... Basically, motivated others can reveal very intimate traits of ours. And again, when I I talk about end of privacy, I'm not talking about, you know, people being able to listen to all of the conversations that we're having. I'm sure we can, you know, leave our cell phones behind, go to the park, the middle of the park, and perhaps have a conversation that no one would be able to listen to. We can send each other a heavily encrypted message that no one will be able to read, though, in fact... Again, motive, we, have, we know there are technologies that you, know, you wouldn't have to intercept the message. They can just be installed on your computer and allow a motivated third party to read your message. Not to mention that the huge progress in quantum computing means that quantum computing that at the beginning will be available only to the big institutions means that the encryption that we are using to encrypt our messages will be very easily breakable. Uh, by a motivated third party. So but again, I'm not focusing on privacy of communication. I'm more focusing on the privacy on, you may say meta traits of people like our political views, our religious religiosity, our preferences, sexual preferences, uh, our uh, personality, intelligence, and other psychodemographic traits.
0: So can you have both? I mean, if if we talk about the end of privacy, can we have these metadata elements be public and then our communication or our, um, you know, things like bank account numbers and passwords, can those things be private if we talk about the end of privacy?
1: Again, I think that our communication can be private. In the, you know, extreme scenario, again, we can just go to the park, leave our digital devices behind, and just whisper to each other our secrets, and then no one will be able to listen.
0: Is that really how we're going to be having privacy?
1: That's what's happening already. Uh, when you <laughs> when you have important meetings between people who believe that there will be other parties motivated to listen, you you know outside of the room you would have a bucket for. F- Mobile phones and mobile phones are being left there, being switched off. And we know that it's not even enough to switch off your mobile phone while you're walking into the meeting. So, again, I was never in a situation like that. I'm in mean, academia; no one, I don't have uh, secrets as dear. But uh, those are standard practices now, not only in um, um, in the intelligence community, but also even uh, in the corporate community.
0: That's going to be a incredible paradigm shift to live in a world where we're expected to manage our own privacy by doing things like flipping off phones or using password lockers that are highly protected, like LastPass. I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about the role of the individual in sort of managing their own personal digital privacy.
1: An individual has absolutely no way of managing their privacy because, well, you can You can encrypt some messages, you can keep your password hidden. But in the end of the day, you kind of forced to use the infrastructure that is out there, Google, Facebook, email, uh, banking system and so on. And then you have no control over how protected or not protected this infrastructure is. But again, I'm not really focusing. I don't worry about the privacy of the messages we are exchanging. What I'm really worrying about is this kind of higher level. So our intimate traits, that we may not want other people to know. Like at the end of the day, when let's say an oppressive regime is listening to people talking, they don't really care about which particular word you used while talking to the others. What they care about is whether you're a member of the opposition party or do you want to overthrow the oppressive regime. And this is a meta trait that now can be very easily predicted, not from the language you use when you communicate with the others, but it can be predicted from other digital footprints. And we have a lot of evidence showing that you know even seemingly innocent digital footprints like you know songs you've listened to, the history of geographical locations, recorded from your phone, or um, you know your browsing or search history can be turned by an advanced algorithm into a very good prediction of intimate traits such as your political views or wanting to overthrow a government.
0: So are we forfeiting a lot of control over to corporations and government? Are we putting our trust in these organizations to uh, manage even that metadata in a responsible way?
1: I think that saying that we are forfeiting control assumes that we have some agency in all of it. And now what I'm worrying is that we really don't have much agency here.
0: Right, it's the tornado.
1: It's the the tornado coming, exactly, that we just cannot control it. And why? Because artificial intelligence, algorithms, computers in general, are solving so many problems for humanity, and they're so great at solving those problems. They are now running our cars, planes, and other devices. They are protecting... Our security, they are managing our money, they are managing our communication, information seeking, learning, entertainment, basically they dominated and solved important problems in all areas of our lives which basically means that we can't kind of can't really live without computers. So it's, it's not going back and because they give us so many benefits you can't really imagine people now kind of stepping out of the system and where would they go? Where's this place without computers uh, these days, so now because we can't really do it, we're kind of stuck with this system in which our privacy is going to be gone, and uh, whether we want it or not so there's no no control tornado as we talked before as we as we mentioned before
0: okay, so what does that world the privacy free world look like ideally to you if you could sort of pull the puppet strings. What would that world look like?
1: So this is definitely a question that is way beyond my pay grade. Both what the world will look like, and also what should we do to make sure that this world is a safe and uh, pleasant place. So first of all, let's talk about how the world is going to be changed, and I think that will be changed at all levels. So from interpersonal relationships. Imagine now meeting a new person, and this new person will be able to put pull out their you know their mobile phone and ask the mobile phone hey, can you tell me all of the intimate details of Mihau?" And you know, the mobile phone would give you a briefing, very in-depth briefing about what Mihau is like, what are his dreams and fears and personality and whether he's gay or not and what are his political views and so on Now, having this knowledge about others that you may have never met before will seriously change the relationships that we are having with the others well
0: i think we're already seeing that with like online dating where there's this phenomenon where people show up across the table from somebody and they already know you know where they went to college and you know mutual friends and where they're where they grew up and all these things uh, where they work um but they try to hide it almost (laughs) (laughs)
1: it's a great point because it's not that i'm not saying that it's going to be all bad like there'll be some beneficial aspects of it. Like one of the beneficial aspects they see is that as people want, as people are less and less able to hide their intimate traits. Um, now, obviously, many of the people will pay the cost for not being able to hide it and think especially of, you know, not less tolerant societies than U.S. or even less tolerant societies than U.S., where, you know, if you reveal your political views or religious views that are, you know, incorrect in a given environment, in fact, it can be a matter of life and death, right? And so so there's definitely that many people will unfortunately pay the price of us losing privacy. And this is why we should really focus on trying to change the rules and make sure that the world is kind of ready for the end of privacy as soon as possible. Because if you just wait long enough and the tornado of the end of privacy will come, it will basically hurt many people uh, on its way. But coming back to how it will change the world, I think that not being able to hide your traits that now we, we very often choose to hide will also increase tolerance. If you realize that, you know, half of your neighbors do not believe in God, and yet they're all decent people and you kind of enjoyed hanging out with them, it's just that they kind of kept this information private because they were afraid of your prejudice, Maybe it will make you realize that, hey, maybe there's nothing wrong with being a non-religious person. Or maybe there's nothing wrong with you being a Republican or a Democrat or gay or whatnot.
0: That seems like a really generous uh, prediction. Could, it, could there be a scenario in which uh, in, instead of increasing tolerance, it actually ended up um, dividing us more?
1: Sure it can. But we've seen it in the past and you know i specifically think here about um uh, the um, the issue of homosexuality in the us where 20 years ago it was just a big no-no and great part of the society was very heavily prejudiced and now what started happening is that gay communities started coming out and organizing gay parades and becoming more um kind of open about their preferences and even at the beginning you know even members of the community were reluctant they were saying hey stop you know doing it you're just ruffling the feathers and it would just end up very badly for us but as we can actually see it completely changed the tide and in an extremely short time you could see entire society actually flipping on the issue and now uh, there is basically decreasing it's becoming decreasingly an object of prejudice, And I think that transparency was a big part of it. But now we're talking about like individual relationships, but now talk about even international relationships, right? So let's say Western community of liberal countries, we kind of pretty steadfast, luckily, on protection of women's rights across the world. So you cannot really imagine a Western country interacting with another country that is just super heavily disregarding women's rights. And when I say super heavily, I mean being even worse to women than Saudi Arabia is. This kind of Saudi Arabia seems to be like this, like bottom uh, uh, threshold of what Western countries are willing to accept. But let's say West Saudi Arabia is mistreating atheists and gay people way more than they are mistreating women. Not sure if you realize, but being gay or being an atheist earns you a you know a capital punishment in Saudi Arabia. Now, Western countries. Western politicians in the Western countries can explain their friendship with Saudi Arabia to their local voters by saying, yeah, look, if you're kind of born gay in Saudi Arabia, just kind of stay quiet about it. Uh, Don't tell anyone, nothing bad will happen to you. So kind of we still can be friends with Saudi Arabia. They have a lot of oil, so it's great. Now, if you accept the premise that there's no privacy in the future, this reasoning collapses. And now it basically means that we'll have to treat all of the traits and preferences that people have at least uh, as seriously as we treat protection of women's rights at the moment. And don't misunderstand me. I don't really think that we are doing a great job at kind of protecting women's rights across the world, but we're doing an even worse job at protecting other minorities' rights. Having such an easy access to those things will also make... This information kind of less of an attractive thing to know and less of a taboo to talk about or not talk about. And I basically hope that people will just stop caring, uh, you know, what others do when they pray and to whom they pray or what they do in their bedroom and just move on and start solving more important issues.
0: Great. Thank you. It's really nice talking to you.